Nashville.net with your host, the Honky Tonk Hitman, Mike Rogers. Everybody, welcome to episode eight of About Nashville. Uh, we are getting closer to that big one zero. We're getting to double digits. We're getting closer there. I'm excited. Uh, lost my co-host this week, um, Natalie, my five-year-old daughter. Uh, we won't be doing a segment with her today. She is in the pro. Well, she had um, last week. She had her adenoids and her tonsils taken out, and she had tubes put in her ears. Her voice, her voice is uh, not strong right now, and her throat hurts a lot. So yeah, we're going to give her this week off, and uh, we'll, we'll catch back up with her next week. Um, also want to let you know that we will be making an announcement soon for the Indie Outlaw Show coming up during the CMA Fest week. Um, we'll be announcing that what's going on with that next week, uh, hopefully. I've been playing uh, guitar and writing again, getting that old itch. I'm excited. Uh, you know, who knows what'll happen with all of that. That will, that could be fun. Who knows? Maybe I'll get back out and start picking and playing again. Um, like that good old country music. Um, what else? Oh my gosh. The Walking Dead finale this last Sunday. <laughs> well, we have, uh, all got to see what was going to happen. And I, I had some ups and had some downs and there were some parts that I liked and some parts I didn't like. Um, I will say this, uh, I, uh, you know, the, the, I'm excited that the character Negan is, uh, in, involved now. I mean, obviously anybody that reads the graphic novel knows that uh, Negan is an important character in the show. Um, I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan does a fantastic job of, of playing this character, ruthless, mirthless, uh, merciless, uh, psychopathic, sociopathic, uh, you know, killer. Uh, I, I, I am excited with where it's going. I hated the way it ended up. Um, obviously, in the graphic novel, uh, he, you know, uh, Negan carries this, this baseball bat covered with barbed wire that he calls Lucille, and he bashes in Glenn's head uh, and kills him. Uh, that might have happened. Unfortunately, we do not know. He takes a baseball bat to somebody's head in the same manner that he did... Um, you know, in the same manner that he did uh, um, in the comic book. But it, it just kind of goes to black, and you don't know what happens, and now we'll have to wait seven months to find out what that is. Uh, I don't know. My guess is it probably was Glenn, but you know what? We all may be shocked, and it was really Daryl. Uh, who knows? Maybe it was Eugene, Abraham. I don't know. don't have a clue. All I know is that... Uh, 
you know, it didn't, uh, I didn't, I, I was, it felt like the whole Sopranos thing where it went to black and I thought my TV broke and, and I didn't know what was going on. But the good part about this is, at least in seven months, we will have an answer definitively and we won't have to go over the rest of our lives not knowing what happened. Uh, obviously, I think what happened in the Sopranos, I think you got killed. I think you got shot. Uh, and, you know, everything went to black, and that's exact. We saw it from his eyes. We saw it from his viewpoint, and he was killed, and that was the end of it, and that's how The Sopranos ended. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, with the death of, death of, of Gandolfini, we'll have to believe that. Um, today's episode is going to be with Billy Mason. And a Billy Thunder Mason. And uh, let me tell you about Billy Thunder Mason. Uh, Billy Thunder Mason uh, was Tim McGraw's drummer for over 18 years. <laughs> he was part of, uh, excuse me, he was part of the uh, the Dance Hall Doctors. And uh, now I got to tell you guys, this is a, a hard town. Nashville is a hard town. Uh, you know, you can go up, and one minute you're up, and then the next minute you're down. And, uh, and Billy Thunder Mason has had his shares of ups and downs for sure. I mean, imagine going for 18 years and basically being, a, you know, the, the drummer for the dance hall doctors. That's your, that's your, you know, that, that's who you are. And when you walk into a place, whether it's a restaurant or whatever else, or, hey, there's, that's Billy Thunder Mason. That's the, you know, the drummer for the dance hall doctors. Well, after 18 years, um, Tim McGraw made a band change, and he, t- he uh, changed out several members of the band, and Billy happened to be one of them. And, uh, you know, he kind of lost his identity uh, when that happened, and, and uh, he's kind of gone through some downtimes. And he shares with us, you know, some of those downtimes, and uh, he also shares with us how he became the drummer for Tim McGraw and some of the stories that happened while he was out on the road with Tim McGraw. Um, love this guy. Great. Billy, Billy Mason is just a fantastic guy, fantastic drummer. And uh, I really enjoyed this uh, interview. So uh, let's get on to it with uh, Billy Thunder Mason. Well, I actually got a when I was playing for with Tim McGraw. Um, okay. I was playing double kick at the time, uh, double kick pedals, and I just we were doing um, um, Indian Outlaw, and at the, at the end of the at the end of that song, I would just do a big old double kick, you know, at the end, and, and Tim's like, "That sounds like thunder." And he goes, "Really thunder." So that's kind of where the name came from. So. Okay. Well. Um were you a founding member of Dancehall Doctors? Uh, I, I actually, I came after different drummer that, that was there. I think a year or so, um, and I joined January '94, and he had just left left the band. So, but I was there when Tim's big first hit came out, in Outlaw, and then of course don't don't take the girl. So it's kind of like the. Mark from Alabama, his kind of story, you know, Mark joins the band Alabama and then all of a sudden the band's huge. That's kind of like my whole story, you know, the drummer quits and I get the gig and the Timmy comes huge. So I kind of, I kind of refer myself to the Alabama story because, you know, because Alabama was nothing and Mark joined the band and then all of a sudden they became huge, so. Okay, well, uh, actually, the reason I asked you that question and that kind of puts some things in chronological order for me. 
Um, in 92, uh, I did a show in Phoenix, Arizona at a place called Tuli's. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> there was this uh, uh, poster that they'd made, and it said, uh, oh, uh, Colin Ray, Tim McGraw, uh, The Mavericks, uh, I, I think might have, maybe even Toby Keith or whatever else, and Mike Rogers. And uh, at the time, at that particular time, uh, Colin Ray was the only person anybody had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, today, I'm still the only person nobody's ever still never heard of. <laughs> I've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that, that was, you know, that's, that's kind of funny. But yeah. I, I, and I remember Tim playing uh, at Skulls. Uh, were, were you with yeah, him no, at that time? That was, that was actually um, before me. Skulls, they're on Fender's Alley? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that was before me. Okay, all right. Um, well, tell me how you, tell me about your background, uh, where you're from, uh, and how you got into the drums. Okay, well I was uh, born in Cleveland, Ohio, and at age five my parents moved to Southern Cal- California. My dad was a drummer, so he wanted to uh, explore, you know, California, get out of Ohio. There's really, you know, not much going on there. And then I was raised up in Anaheim area, Anaheim kind of, Anaheim, Santa Ana, Orange County. My parents kind of moved around quite a bit. And you know, with my dad being a drummer, there's there's always drums at the house. Mm-hmm. And I just started playing drums and just kind of you know picked it up. I was in some drum corps and in, in out in out, out in Southern California and just kind of came natural. I mean, no lessons, no formal training. My my dad just said like, here's some drums, just start playing them if you want to, you know. Did your dad ever tour? Um, did, did your dad, did he ever tour? No, 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 he just, he, uh, my dad basically played lounges all of his career, you know, he played, uh, you know, like duos and trios and stuff like that. He, he, he was actually pretty famous back in Cleveland. It was a Bobby Mason trio and he actually like went out front and sang and ripped off his shirt and it was, it was, he was kind of like a, he kind of looked like a Jerry Lewis guy. Back in the day, but um, so this was in the fifties or the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. wow! I bet it's ripping off his shirt. I bet that really went. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like, yeah, he, he was a real, real showman. That's kind of where I got my, uh, I think my showmanship from was from my dad. Okay. But my first, I actually first started playing accordion, and it was just so heavy that I didn't want to play. I didn't like it, and so uh, I remember having to go up these stairs with my accordion to try to go, you know, to the teacher to take lessons and uh, I just didn't like doing it so i uh, glad I stayed with the drums. Well uh, actually now that you brought that up um, your brother plays drums. Right Dave yeah. Uh, yeah Dave. Dave is actually how you and I met so uh, did Dave play in bands with you or? or? No uh, Dave actually um, I was playing like when we my parents moved back to Dayton Dayton Ohio my last year of high school and I was playing for some Elvis impersonators and stuff like that, you know, throughout school. And, and my brother actually used to go with me and be my roadie. He would like set up for me, and then then he help us run, run sound stuff like that. So we've been really close and evolved together a lot. But they really didn't start playing drum drums till later on. But he's actually a good drummer. Okay. Um, let's see. When when uh, tell me about how things broke loose. So you came in with the dance hall doctors. Uh, 94. In 94, so yeah. that was the the uh, the second record, is that right? Yeah, so yeah, the first one really didn't do nothing. I think it was, I think it was called Welcome to the Club. Welcome to the Club. Right. Right. That really didn't, Tim, Tim always said it, 
it went wood because <laughs> it, yeah. it really didn't go nothing. And I, and from what I understand, Kerber's going to probably let them go if the next one didn't take. And then Indian Outlaw came out, of course, and was huge. And that's I was there three months before the song came out, and and I've been there, you know, like I said, almost 18 years. So. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, of course, Don't Take the Girl came out after that, and just the hits just kept coming out. Gotcha, gotcha. So what, what were some of your, your earlier memories from hitting the road uh, out there at the beginning? Uh, I think just I was just really excited about, you know, playing the music. It was really fun to play because I had played with Paulette Carlson before Tim for two years. She was with Highway 101. Is that what brought you to Nashville? Uh, no, brought me to Nashville. I was married, two kids, um, just not really making it, making ends meet. Back in back in Ohio, I had an old phone company van, no heat, and three hundred bucks. And I, I just I just told my wife, I said, we need to move. I said, I'm never gonna make it here. We got to go Ohio. And she didn't want to go at first. And I just said, if I stay here, it's just it's just not going to be good. I've so got. she wanted to go from California to Ohio. No, I met her in, back in back in back in Ohio. Like when I oh, okay. Like a, a, my my parents my parents moved back to Ohio when I was seventeen. Okay. I finished my last year of school there, and that's where I met my wife at the time. Where we were actually we're high school sweethearts. So uh, <clears throat> you know we had got married right out of high school, and then uh, uh, I think I was. 28, maybe 29, somewhere in there. I just wanted to move. I just, I was, you know, I was playing all over. I was, I was, uh, I was painting houses during the day. I was playing six, this is six nights a week at night, and I just wasn't making it. I just, I kept trying and trying and trying, and then I got to some bands where it's just kind of a lot of drugs, a lot of things that you know I didn't want to do. So I, I just knew I had to get out of that situation. Sure. So I just, I just felt like we just needed to move to Nashville. I just. You always hear about the country stars here, and I just, I, I just, I just kind of feel like this is where God was leading me to go to. So you're a spiritual man? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's your, what's your? I'm a Christian. Uh, I was raised Catholic. Uh, I actually, I was an altar boy, and you know the whole deal. And uh, I got saved in my early 20s, and actually in, in a Pentecostal church. Okay. And, uh, that was a, that was a quite experience. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, God's the Lord of my life, and and I, you know, ask Him daily direction, what to do, and and I just I you know I give my heart to Him, and I just ask Him to show me His will. Boy, I I uh, uh, right there with you on that one. Um, so you get to Nashville, you come in here, is it, and you moved here ninety. Uh, I was I was twenty eight, twenty nine, somewhere there. I was. Married two kids at three hundred bucks in a van with no heat, and uh, we called the missions about trying to maybe see if we could stay at the missions. And uh, this well, you can stay here, but your family would have to be split up. We didn't want to do that, so they had recommended call Belmont Church on Music Row that they help families that come in, you know, from out of town. And so I called Belmont, and they said, "Well, we don't have anything here, but there's a family here that that would probably help you." So I called the gentleman, and his name was Phil Lafleur, I think it was the name. Yeah, and uh, he said, "Yeah, please come over. We're getting ready to have dinner. Come on over." So we, we go over there, and they actually live right behind Belmont. We had dinner. We we definitely hit it off, and then he worked for a paint company called Harold Moore and Sons. And uh, of course, of course, I could paint. So the next day, he went to 
work and asked his boss about me and his boss said, well, bring him in the next day, you know, let me talk to him. So we went in there and uh, there was a door sitting there. His boss goes, paint that door f for me. Let me see if, if you can paint. So of course I did and I got the job. So so we, you know, God blessed us by getting us to a, to a family that would help us right away. And then I, then I got a job two days later. And then it took about a month to live with these guys. And then we would get up money saved up to, to get our own apartment. So it was definitely God. I feel like God was definitely His hand was working us being here. But it's it was a struggle. Were you spiritual then too? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So so then you started painting. Right. Um, and you're obviously wanting, what year was this? Um, 80 something, maybe early 80s. Oh, the early 80s? Oh yeah. So so you moved to Nashville in the early 80s. Right. I, I for some reason or another, I thought that you moved in the early 90s. No, 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 because I was with Tim in 94. So I'd already played for, for Bill Anderson on the Opry for okay. a couple of years. I played Whispering for, Bill, yeah. Yeah, I played for Paul Carlson for a couple of years. I played for a guy named Joel Sanye for three years. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was playing all over town, spiffies, and I mean, every club I could get, I was playing five, six nights a week. So I, I was kind of doing the same thing here as I was in Ohio. I was painting during the day mm -hmm. and trying to play it tonight. But at least I was here where there were there was more more to offer me here. Sure. And I was meeting you know different players that played for the artists, and that's how I got the gig with Joel Sanye. Um, so how long did you paint before you had that opportunity uh, to, to, to go do, you know, uh, music? I'd say for probably four or five years. Oh, before you, you painted four or five years before you actually had an opportunity yeah. to go to play the drums? Well, no, I mean, I, I was playing clubs every now and then. You well, know, I, I meant to tour. Yeah, the tour, yeah, the tour, probably four or five years, and then I got the Joel Sanye gig. That was a, that was a tough gig. Was, <laughs> you know, he's he bless his heart. He's you know he's Cajun, great guy, but uh, just he kind of had his own way of doing things. You know, his own his own um, verbiage. You know, um, you know because when I went for the first practice, you know, I, I I got my drums all set up, and Joel comes in and he goes so he goes, okay, Billy, now we're gonna tune the the clashes now. And I'm, I'm looking at the band like, like and the band's like, just do whatever he says, just go with it. So he thought the wing nut tunes, tunes your cymbal. So he made me go through each cymbal and crash it and tune it. <laughs> so, bless his heart. And I, and I, you know, and I like, wonder, okay. He made you tune your each, each cymbal. Each cymbal, he thought the wing nut tuned it. So I would hit it and I'd, you know, turn it back and forth. The wing now until he said, "Okay, Billy. Okay, Billy. Next one. Next classy. Next classy. And then, okay, then, okay, Billy hit the hit the, the Tommy one. Hit, hit, hit the kicky kicky. I mean, he just had his own way of of. I mean, so you renamed all the instruments. Well, yeah. He goes, um, um, Billy and I. He would make. He'd show me like when I make a a gesture. You know, uh, I want the kicky kicky here, and I want Tommy Tommy. I want the classy classy here, and it's just he was a great guy. We we, we actually had a. <laughs> A blast together, but he was just the other guys kind of like were kind of you know over it, and I was like the new guy in the band, so I kind of did whatever he wanted me to do. And I, I think you might have just changed the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I cannot wait to turn around and look at a drummer go, Hey, I need a little more kicky kicky, and I need a <laughs> classy hit, classy, classy, yeah. click, kicky, kicky, yeah, hit the classy one, classy two. Because uh, I remember we were on the bus on a road trip, and we were going through like this, you know, through the middle of nowhere and he saw you know he saw the 
the cows and the you know the, and the pigs and all that stuff. And he go, really? See the see the see the pigeons over there? Pigeons? I'm, I'm like the pigeons? Where? Goes, Not a really. Pigeons. Those pigs. Those pigs. So, so and then he was telling me a story about him being in the studio, and uh, he was, yeah, Billy. When I'm in the studio, we use the microphone with Eisenhower's. And I said, oh really? Oh really? And the one guy, the one guy in the man goes, Tim, or Tim, Joe, they're called Sennheiser. <laughs> I almost spit out my coffee. So he was, you know, he was a great guy. I mean, the first Thanksgiving with him, his wife had passed away, so my mom and dad had him over for dinner, and um, just a good, good, good man. So we still talk. Would you pass the mashy mashy? Yeah, yeah. The, the mashed potatoes. <laughs> but he, he's, he's, you know. A great, he's just a great guy, but he uh, he had a big, big, hits out tear stain letter, scene of the crime. Um, he actually toured with uh, with uh, Alabama. Oh wow! Yeah, so we did some really big dates. So you got to see a lot of Alabama. I got to see, I got to see how the singer and the drummer don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, Mark used to get a lot of dirty looks from uh, Randy. Really? Oh, bad, yeah. And I actually saw Mark a few weeks ago at CMA Fest. We were talking about stuff, and the drummers, they, I, I don't know what it's about drummers and singers, but he used to get looks all the time from... I'm going to have to get Mark on this show. Oh, yeah. You've you got to give me a story. Tell yeah. me tell me one that you saw. Well, with, with, you mean with Mark in Alabama? Yeah. Just, I, I think just, you know, I saw Mark up there just playing his heart out, you know, and just um, Randy just, you know, as the singers do, they they got to have their, their moods, and... He just looked back at him like he wanted to, you know, kill him or something. You know, and Mark's just smiling, playing. You know, got his head hanging down, just playing his heart out. And Randy's like, I freaking hate you. It's like, it's really sad. You know, you know, I know Mark's not with them to this day. So, to me, it's not Alabama without Mark playing drums. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so you were with Joel, and then, then how did you go to the next step? Uh, I was with Joel for three years, and I, then I, he kind of slowed down a lot, and so I was looking for another gig, and then I heard about the Paul Carlson gig, and um, and uh, I went, I went audition for that, and she said that I, that I reminded her of um, Cactus. Okay. And Cactus was was a drummer with Highway 101. Okay. She, she said I had the same kind of style, same personality. She said you know there was just a there was just a connection there, so I played with her for, for two years, and we were like best 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 friends. I helped watch her baby, and just very close to her her family. And then where'd you go from there? And from there, I went to uh, Bill Anderson. Okay, whispered Bill. Bill. Yeah, whispered Bill the Opry, and, uh, and I got a great Opry story for you. <clears throat> First time on the Opry, you know, you you know, we did our one our one tune, and then that you know, I was really nervous, so I had to go. Bathroom, so I had to go. I had to go pee really, really bad. So I ran the bathroom, and I'm just, some just something, something inside of me just said, "Man, you got to get back. Something doesn't feel right. I think you may have to be back on stage again." So I, I come, I come running out, and Bill's on the stage. He goes, "Well, folks," he goes, "Tonight I got a new drummer, and this is on the radio. It wasn't a TV spot, but it was the the, 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 the radio spot." He goes, "Folks, I've got a new drummer. I don't know." Where he is, <laughs> and I got a, I got a, I got a song I got to do, and I go, Bill, Bill, Bill. He goes, Billy. He goes, Where'd you go? I said, The bathroom. He goes, You don't go to the bathroom yet. He goes, He goes, Get on them drums. And the place, of course, the crowd was cracking up, and every time we did the Opry, from you know, from then on, I was always the guy that has to go to the bathroom. Um, 
But I was really nervous, but it was a great experience being the Opry. We played several times with him in the Opry, and um, it was just, Bill was just a pure gentleman and just a great guy to work for. I got asked that question one, one time. Uh, what is the first thing you do before you go on stage or you get in the ring? You know, do you have like some kind of ritual that you go through? And I, like you, I always have to pee. I am yeah. so, more so in the ring whenever I was boxing, because once you get the cup on and you're taped in, mm -hmm. you're like, oh man, this is permanent. I can't get out of this right. thing. I, right. I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. Uh, but, you know, I've had the crap kicked out of me, but I didn't have to, yeah. <laughs> at least I didn't have to take it off and, you know, right. go do it. Right. Um, so, okay, so you went from there to... To Tim. So how did, yeah, how did well, that whole door get opened up? Well, well, actually, before before um, I think before Bill, I actually went and played for a guy named Clarence Gatemouth Brown. Okay, yeah, Blues yeah, guy, yeah. yeah. For, uh, I did a three month tour with him. That was I'm sorry, I was trying to back up a little bit. That was between that that, that gig, and I was um, this his drummer had called me at home and said, "Hey Billy, uh, I got a gig with another guy, and I'm playing for this Clarence Gatemouth, which I didn't know at the time." He goes. They leave in three hours to go to Atlanta for three months. Can you do the gig? <laughs> and you know, I'm like, three hours for three months, and I'm looking at my wife and asking, "What do I do?" And at the time, we were having a real hard time anyway. And uh, so I, I said I would do the gig, and so I had to be at the bus in Donaldson in three hours and go and do a show that night. And didn't even know. He said he's a blues guy, so I'm thinking, you know, just real easy jazzy blues stuff. But find out this guy's. Music's really, really complicated. Really, I mean, it's soloing. It's a really, really tough gig. So I get on the bus, and uh, um, <laughs> the first thing Clarence says is, says, "Thank God you're not black." <laughs> and he's he's black. He's black. The whole but the whole band's white. I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I hate black people." What? Yeah, I'm like, guys in the band are like just. Just go with it, man. I'm like, well, I could be whatever I gotta be. I said, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I was told to, to come here and do this gig for you. He, he goes, I'm just glad you're not black. Well, which I thought was kind of. You think weird. he was testing you to see to, to see if you go? Yeah, I don't like black people either. To so, you know to. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, uh, I mean, think about that. That would be a great way to, to to get somebody to come out of the shadows if they were a hidden racist. Yeah. Well, well the, the the thing is, the drummer was black. They quit. He quit oh. on him. He quit on him, and just no notice, nothing. So I'm not sure if that was the point because the drummer quit. He was black. I don't know, but it was weird. I I, did, I didn't know what to say. Mm. But it was a, it was a it was a weird gig, but it's very musical gig. It was a, I mean, it was a really fun gig to play. But we were, we were on the way to Atlanta, and he had me listen to all of his cassette tapes, and I'm like, this stuff was like crazy fast, and you know, I was kind of nervous if I could even do it. But um, but it worked out real really good, and um, the whole three months I was with him, he did nothing but bitch about how Chuck Berry stole his licks. Oh wow! He 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 could not stand Chuck Berry. He swore up and down Chuck Berry, you know, stole his music, his licks. He he hated him. It was really so. I guess he really hated Elvis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was, it was Elvis stole it from all of them. I know, I know. But he just he couldn't stand Chuck Berry, but. We played with you know Albert Collins and BB King. We did some cool, cool stuff. And I'm I actually videotaped one night I was playing, and he didn't like me videotaping at all. I did a I did a show one time uh, with Percy Sledge, oh, yeah. and we were actually his backup man. 
And uh, he did that song, When a Man Loves a Woman. Mm -hmm. I swear it was the longest. I've never seen somebody take one song and make it 30 minutes long. Yeah. You know, and that was his hit. So, yeah. I mean, that, that was what everybody came to see him for. And, and boy, it just was or just a really, yeah. really yeah. drew it out. And yeah. really, he mm -hmm. just, you know, got everything he could out of it. Yeah. So you, okay, so you went from there and... To Tim. To, so yeah. how did the door open? How did Tim, that, um, I was playing clubs around town throughout these four or five years I was here. <clears throat> and then I met this guy named Darren Smith, who was Tim's guitar player. Like we played at Smithy's together in different different jams in town. And so I got a call to go play with a girl named Marty Carroll for a couple weeks. She was going to go to, to the Carolinas and do these two weeks at this club. So she asked me to go. Her whole band had just quit on her. So she called me and asked me to go and asked if I knew a guitar player. I said, well, Darren Smith and I have been working together, or we've been playing together, you know, around town. She was, yeah. She was, let me give Darren a call. So she called Darren, and Darren's like, well, I'll go if, 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 as long as Billy's going, because I know Billy and we could hang out together. So we went to the Carolinas, and, and uh, Ira Dean was the bass player who played for Trick Pony. Oh, yeah. yeah it's me and that. Uh, I read, we were like roommates, which was which is a whole other. He <laughs> <laughs> don't want to know that story. And uh, uh, so, uh, me and Darren just kind of we just kind of hung out quite a bit together. He said, "Man, I'm playing with this new guy, Tim McGraw, and he's got this song getting ready to come out in an outlaw, and I think the drummer's going to quit. His wife's a singer, he said, and and I think he wants to go play for her, or or drive a bus for her. I think he's just really getting burnt out. Tim wasn't doing much, I don't think, anyway at the time. So. Uh, when we got back in town, actually coming home, we're in a, a van and a trailer, and uh, all of a sudden it's middle of the night. The trailer starts swerving, the van starts swerving, and the back tire on the van caught on fire. So they 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 got the van pulled over real quick, and they're all jumping out of the van because the van's on fire, <clears throat> and my jacket's in the van with my money in it from those last two weeks. So I'm thinking, I can't go home without any money, so. So I jump back in the van when it's on fire. I grab my coat and I'm trying, I'm trying to yank it off the captain's chair and then the van. And I, I get out just in time where the van just does, kind of does, does explode, but it just, it kind of took over. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so, uh, but me and Darren was kind of laughing about it later. But when he got home, he said, man, I think the drummer's going to quit. So he called me. And, you know, I said, well, I said, I said, not sure if I really want to go back on the road again, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I said, well, just let me know, and I'll, I'll kind of let you know if my wife thinks it's a good idea. So about two weeks later, he calls him, man, the, the drummer's going to quit. I told Tim about you. Tim said, hire you. He said, if I think you're you're good for the gig, bring you on. So uh, we went to Byron Gallimore's studio, and we kind of had a little BAM practice, kind of a little jam, just to see how everybody would gel. And Tim said, you got the gig. Wow. So, and then from there on, I was I was there. Yeah, like I said, almost eighteen years, and then the last, you know, five, six, seven years is when we when Tim's band did all of his albums. Right, right. Which, Which was, was kind of unprecedented. Uh, yeah, that's that was kind of un unheard of in this town for a band to play on records. You know, absolutely. In Alabama, all those bands was all studio guys. You right. Know? Um, and I think Tim kind of started that with that precedence of doing that. But you know, that's that's every player's dream is to be on on tour plus to be on the records right you know right. but you know, George Stray I mean all those bands was all studio guys so Tim kind of started that whole thing and um, 
Uh, Did you guys get royalties for any? No, no. We just got the union pay. You know, just your single scale, which wasn't really a whole lot. You know, right. but we didn't care about the money at, at that point. We just wanted to be on the sure, record. But sure. we went up to New York to do it. Of course, I was really, really nervous. You know, because I'm, you know, I, I didn't want to blow it. You know, I, you know, I've done like demos and stuff like that, but I really never played a, a major album. Right. You know, that you, that you're gonna hear on the radio and all over the world. So. I was told by uh, Darren again. Uh, he said, "Billy, no pressure, but they have Lonnie Wilson on standby if you can't c- cut it." Oh wow! So no pressure, yeah, but we so, got this guy just in case you yeah, can't do and it. Lonnie's one who played on Tim's past, you know, ten albums, right? Mm-hmm. So, and Lonnie's a great, great drummer, of course. Uh, so, of course, now I'm really nervous, and it's like, oh my god, you know, I'm freaking out. Like, I, I, you know, it, it, it'd be awful. But I'm like the only one on the band that's not on. The record. That's like you know. So didn't he like take you guys to like uh, some castle or something? And y'all well, yeah, it was uh, it was actually uh, a Lair Studios up in New York. It was like a resort kind of place. Oh wow! And uh, it was very very cool. Um, but it was it was it was just just us and Byron and his team, of course. But uh, it was a great time. It was a great experience, and I learned a lot. And you know, I learned what not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really listened to Byron a lot, and uh, I really learned a lot. You know, that, that's, that's funny you said that, that what, what to do, because you're obviously you've been drumming your entire life, and, you know, there's different ways of doing things. There's there's what you do live, you know, right. obviously, and then there's what you're going to do in the studio. And, and, and with singers, I mean, there's really kind of three different ways that you can sing. You can, there's the, you know, how you sing acoustically without anything. You know, right. that's, that's a whole other dynamic, or, or, or how you would do live, or with the mic and a band and everything else, or even in the studio and all of those are different dynamics with which you, you present yourself or and, and like, just like you said I learned what to do and what not to do because as you said you weren't a studio drummer whereas you know I'm not saying Lonnie couldn't go out and, and, and reproduce what you do live I don't know but you know you obviously had a magic or have a magic to you live that you were able to bring into the studio and make that happen uh, there too right yeah like I said I I've done some demos in the past, so I, I kind of knew what what not to do. But you know, I, I I definitely could remember listening to some of my old cassette tapes, like playing way too much stuff, you know, <laughs> like look at me, look at me kind of stuff, you know. It's like what 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 I could do. Um, this time I went with the approach like I want to play as little as I can, and then if they want me to play more, then I will. But but I want to play really really tastefully stuff, and that's kind of what I did. I mean, I'm, I'm not a great jazz guy, I'm not a great soloist, but I, I have a, a great feel, mm-hmm. and when I play something, I really play from the heart, which which makes me different. Now, did you, when you went in there and you were recording these, did you invent those licks, or did, you, or, did or was it direction that the, you know, that the uh, producer said, hey, this is what I'm, I'm hearing and what I'd like you to do, or did you, did he just say, take off, and whatever happens, happens? Yeah, they were my licks. Um, Basically, we just heard demos. We heard acoustic guitar tracks. Very rare did, did we hear a full band production. They're all my licks, my my ideas. Um, just at one point, Byron may have said, "Billy, that's a great lick, but let's do a little bit less." Right. Or or, um, or you know, because Byron, so if there is less is better. You know, it sounds bigger. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I wasn't playing. A lot of licks anyway, but what I I think at one point I played a, a longer lick than like there was a, a break in the song and there was a big drum feel and so I may have played a little too much for that feel. He liked it, he said, but let's just try it a little bit 
less than I did and just made it sound so much fatter. It was, it was amazing. But I had a, a drum tick, was, he's Harry from Drum Paradise, and Harry's, uh, Harry drum tech for Bruce Springsteen's drummer, Max, for years. So he was in there really giving me some great coaching and my drums sounded amazing. Um, but I had this big old picture window behind me, so I kept looking out of it when I was done. And it was weird because I was there was like three or four different buildings, and Tim, Tim and the band were all in one one room with Byron and Warden and everybody. And I was like across the yard by myself in this huge like church kind of building. It was a little scary at night; it was dark in there. <laughs> so you know, but I look out the window, you know, I could see the Cascade, the mountains, which was just beautiful. But I would just, I would just pray, and I would just think about my dad and the gift that he gave me, and um, I was just so blessed to be there, and I just wanted to play my best, so I could maybe one day hear myself on the radio. Well, speaking of hearing yourself on the radio, so y'all released Indian Outlaw, um, and you, you obviously hit the hit the road. How did um, when when was that moment when you go oh? Gosh, this is big. This is fixing to get really big. Um, probably when, because the first year with Tim, we probably played more clubs than anything. Mm -hmm. We played a lot of like big clubs where the Indians used to pro that they would protest us because they didn't like the song In and Outlaw. So we would try to show up for the gig and get inside these clubs, and Indians were all lined up outside. <laughs> <laughs> the cops had to come. They're gonna I mean, scalp you. Yeah, it, it was bad. The Indians didn't like it at all. Uh, so once we started playing, like you know, um, arenas, we opened up for Sawyer Brown and Diamond Rio and people like that. Um, then I finally, like, this is this is huge. Well, that you know, that was uh, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously the Washington Redskins, the Cleveland Indians, all, all of those teams or whatever else, they're still getting in trouble to this day for the name, and they're, they're still having, I, I, I might even, some of them might even be changing mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. of that. How does Tim get away with that? How, how does he not? How does he, you know, continue to be able to do that song? And and uh, and and obviously, I, it's quieted down or whatever else. Twenty years later, or has it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the first couple of years it was bad, and then uh, they finally realized the song wasn't slamming them. It actually helped them. It gave them a lot more notoriety, so they actually liked it then. Oh, really? Yeah. So just the first the first year or so, they didn't understand. I think is talked about smoking a peace pipe and all that kind of yeah. stuff and so they didn't really quite understand they thought we we're making fun of them and you know and I don't blame them I mean look what the white man's done to them <laughs> you know God bless them that's a whole other podcast we won't go there but um, but uh, yeah it, it was just we did a lot of great great stuff and you know did I mean played for some big big names and uh, but um it just kept going great, but we were gone almost 300 days a year for the first 10 years. We were never home, um, and which, which really took a toll on my family, of course. You know, because my big dream was if I could just make it one day, then I could take care of my family because we didn't have anything. You know, we were really starving. And in the process of making it, I, I kind of I lost my family. You know, we ended up after 25 years, we ended up divorcing and. I was never home, and we just kind of grew apart. And it's you know it's it's, a, it, it's not an easy life out there for any kind of you know sports, music, whatever. You're gone a lot. Sure. You're gone a lot, and you have to be to, 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 to make that kind of money. But um, 
it's it's tough, you know. If I had to do it all all over again, I think I'd do it differently. Well, well, well what would you do differently? Um, I mean, honestly, I think I would have I'd, 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 been a, a doctor or a pilot. A lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have listened to Waylon Jennings. I'd yeah, been a doctor or a yeah, lawyer or such. Yeah. Well, I always wanted to be a, a pilot because I love airplanes. Um, so I kind of wish I would have changed directions, but, you know, obviously. So just to recap what you just said, uh, you kind of think that the, the blessing was also a curse. It, it can be. I mean, I know a lot of players, a lot of artists that have lost a lot because of this field. It's tough. I think it's just... Um, you know, is it just hard on, you know, just is it the fact that you're gone? Or is it the fact that you're surrounded by, you know, women and drugs and alcohol and, and, and lots of temptations out on the road? And, and then, you, you you know, you leave the wife or husband or whatever it may be home and, and, and they have to raise the children. And, and so, I mean... It, what would you say is the hardest part about all that? Uh, I would say all of it. Okay. It's, it's very, it's very tempting in all those areas. Um, I didn't do most of those things, <laughs> uh, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a very, that was a very bad. I didn't do few of those things, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm just, you know. Most of them I did. I was actually pretty good, um, but we did grow, grow apart in. You know, you do things that you regret. You get lonely, and you know, um, you come home and it's fighting, and you, it's just you just, you know, it's just like oh, dad's home again. Oh, great, you know, and then you feel like you, you you kind of feel like you're not even welcome anymore. So you're a superstar out on the road. You come home and it's thunder. Take out the garbage. Yeah, yeah, which, which is okay. But I mean, I, I remember at one point. This is a great story. I was having a hard time being gone from home. It's back when we didn't have cell cell phone jet, and you know. We had like a couple nights off at a really nice hotel, and you know, groupies were there, and you know, everybody's gonna hit the bar and have a drink. And I was really missing my wife and kids, and I called my wife, kind of upset, and said, "Honey, can I just come home? Can I just let's just live off the land? We'll just whatever it takes. Let's just you know, I just you know, cause she didn't know what was going on out there, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't really tell them because then they then they think you're you're doing it. And so I just what I wanted to hear was, "Yes, yeah, honey, just come home." We'll just we'll make it, mm-hmm. and and her her answer was, you can't quit. We need the money. Oh. Well, it just just destroyed me because when I hung up that that payphone, I just I just kind of feel like well, there's my answer. Oh. Is wow. it, it's not that she was into the money. It's just she didn't realize what I was going through. And right. She, she's like, well, if you quit, we'll we'll starve again. Well, you know. Well, do you think that? If you would have been honest with her, if you would have said, "Hey, you know, uh, this is what's going on. This is what I'm saying, and I don't think I need to be here," if she would have still said, "Yeah, we still need the money." No, she would have said, "Come home." Right. I'm, Do you regret not telling her now? No, no. You know, you don't. You know, you don't want them to worry. You know, you know, because I wasn't doing that stuff. I just, but it was there, right. and I knew that if I kept staying gone a lot, you know. I could weaken and, you know, but didn't want that to happen, you know. Sure. Um, but like I said, we were high school sweethearts, so we were first boyfriend, girlfriend, and kids, and, you know, I missed my kids. I remember being in Atlantic City, walking down the pier, seeing all the kids playing with their families, and I was, I was crying, missing my missing my kids, and wish I could hold my son and my daughter's hand, and, you know, because on the road, you, you know, you're out there with all these 
families, you know, people come to see you and the couple's holding hands and they're leaving together and they come together and then you, your day's off, you're at the mall by yourself, you're eating by yourself, you're at the beach by yourself and you miss, you don't, you miss your family and you really don't have a life. Are you close to your children now? Oh yeah, yeah, I've got nine grandkids, so um, we're close to my kids and my grandkids, but I still, I still hurt for what happened, you know, we divorced their last year of high school and I think it still, it still eats at them. It, it definitely bothers me, still. And you know, my only way was trying to make it up was just try to um, buy them things and be there. You know, take them places and you know. But I think they would have much rather had dad home. Sure. What year? Know. What year did you get divorced? Uh, twelve years ago. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah. So there was a, a a lot of years out there on the the road after you were divorced. Yeah, which yeah. which was very lonely because like like I said, I didn't do all that stuff. You know, it was very because I'm trying to be a great Christian and I'm out there playing my heart out with Tim. I'm trying to be the best I can be for Tim. I'm you know I'm running every day. I'm healthy. I'm trying to do all I can to 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 be a great great guy, great great drummer, and uh, it was tough. And I I got married again. Few years after, and uh, actually, married how'd you meet her? Uh, met her at a, a, a charity function. I always try to do stuff for for charities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a friend of mine was a cop in, in Columbia, Tennessee, and um, they were dying of cancer, and they'd asked for some stuff for this um, benefit. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I uh, brought some stuff for this, some sticks, some signed stuff from from Tim's t-shirts stuff like that and I met her there we just hit it off and a year or so later we got married and now she's like an assistant chief for, for, for Columbia oh well, now did she know you were in, in Tim McGraw's band yeah oh yeah do you think that that initially made her attracted to you or no I was just a nice guy she's she, <laughs> she looking for a nice guy you know no she felt for me <laughs> no she just she was in a bad Marriage is very abusive, and I was a good guy. I mean, cared about people, and that's what she was looking for. A man that really had a good heart and cared about others. How long were you married? Two years. I just, uh, the guilt, the guilt from my first marriage just was like killing me. I just, you know, and she was a good, the cop was a great wife. She was, she was a good person. I just, I, you know, my kids were still kind of mad at me, and I felt guilty for what I did my first wife, and I just, it was just, it wasn't a good, I really shouldn't got married. I was just uh, I, I hadn't healed over my marriage of 25 years yet. Well, forgive me for saying, but it it, it, it seems like that you still had a lot of emotion uh, there for your for, for your first wife. Like uh, not not necessarily you know you're in love with her or anything, but but I can tell in your eyes and your your face that when when you speak of her, you speak of her with the the utmost fondness. Uh, yeah. She's a good, a good woman, and I, I totally screwed, screwed it up. But, um, but I thought I could try to find it, you know, again. And like I said, I just, I wasn't fair to the cop. I just wasn't ready for it yet. Right. So then I stayed single again for two or three years, and I married again, and that didn't work out. So I, I think it's tough when you're married to your high school sweetheart, and you try to replace that. You can't. You really can't. That first sure. love only happens once in a lifetime and the other you believe that you believe that you, you you only have there's only one love for you in this love this world you believe that I think there's only one, um, one first love 
Well, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's, yeah, that's yeah, a guarantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know? you, you can, I think you can fall in love again, but with me, I'm a pretty sensitive guy. Um, I just wish I would have done things differently, you know. But um, you know, I'm just I just kind of give it to the, the give it to the Lord and just pray one day things will work out again. Sure. What what I mean. So are are you dating? Yeah, actually, me and my ex-wife are are still trying to work things out. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. You mentioned three now. So the first one? No, third one. The third one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So so how did you meet her? Met her through a blind date. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of, I was kind of done with women. I didn't want any more women in my life, and I just thought, you know, I'm just going to stay single and just focus on my kids and my career. And we went on a blind date, and. Um, you know, she's like, "What's your deal? <laughs> What's my deal?" She goes, "Well, you're a nice guy. Why are you single for the nice guy thing again?" I'm like, well, I just, I just messed up, I guess. I, I don't know. But she said, yeah, "But you're such a nice guy." I said, well, I said, "I am a nice guy." I said, "But I just, I said, I, I was married for 25 years and just really never got over that." So we end up just kind of being friends for a few months and year or so, and then we end up, Lee, let's get married you know we, we get along great blah 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 and it just it just didn't work you know it's just it just and then of course it's not her again it was me I just I still have some healing to do I guess or some uh, I don't know I just got to figure out what's wrong with me <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a musician I mean I don't know but um, I don't know but so anyway so we're back together trying to work things out and just taking it slow sure sure what if you if there was like this you know you keep saying I would do things different I would do things different ever if there was one thing that you know uh, you could tell your 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 first wife you know I, I obviously I screwed up I think that was one of the things you said but if you just tell her one thing that you know hey just want you to know this or, or whatever else what what would that be I think one thing I would say is I wish you wouldn't have gave up on me gotcha. No. Even though I deserved it, I, I just wish you just would have just seen, seen my heart, seen, you know, just just don't give up on me. But, you know, because uh, we we're going through the divorce and I was going to cancel it. You know, um, I was going to go to court and tell the judge that I didn't want her to do it. And she said, if you truly love me, then you'll give me this divorce. Oh. And that was my oh. only that was my only way of showing her. Because I was not going to give it to her. I was I was going to fight it. I was not going to give up on her. I mean, that's I did that, and I well, I've been married three times. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and uh, uh, my second marriage, I was the exact same way. Um, I was like, I am not divorcing you. I'm blah blah blah. Um, And yeah, that uh, that doesn't work. I know. It doesn't work. I know. It's it's sad because I was going to fight it, but you know, because I thought if I would fight it then maybe she'll finally see her or maybe maybe this because the judge will make you wait I think it's, I think it's 90 days or something the judge makes you wait and I thought well maybe God will speak to speak to her heart one more time you know and um, so would you marry the third one uh, again um, yeah I mean I would just as long as I was ready you know I'm, I'm a lot closer than I was before just the third one was just you know, she come from a very classy lifestyle. She was a, a model of movies, spinning movies and stuff like that. And she just kind of anybody we know. No, no, no. But she just used to having things kind of her her way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just 
It's just rough. It was just a tie. I can't even explain it. She's a good, good girl. I just, you know, she's from New Orleans. <laughs> two, two of my three wives were from New Orleans. Oh, well, there you go. They're, they're different. From Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. But, but she's gorgeous and she's a great woman. But it's just, it's just me. It's not them. You know, uh, you know, we we kind of divorced. Um, you know, I lost my mom the year that Tim let us go. So I lost my mom. Tim had let us go. Me and her divorced. And then I lost my home. And then I lost my dad. So in three years, I lost the most important things to me, you know, right. you know, besides my kids, of course. Um, and that's, it's, it's huge. That's a huge blow for someone to take. We're not really trained to deal with that. So uh, right now, my life previously, you know, I'm out trying to work again, um, trying to heal from my mom and dad still, and uh, plus trying to heal from relationships. So it's tough. Um, Tell me, uh, did your dad, did he ever, did he ever, uh, you know, obviously he got to see your success, um, but what was it like to him? I mean, did he live vicariously through you a little bit? Oh, yeah. You know, obviously, uh, you made it to that place, I think, that, he, you know, every single musician or artist or whatever it else wants to be, you know, and, and you got there. And what was, what was that like for him? Was it... Was he just like the proudest peacock on the face of the planet? Yeah, my mom and dad both were. My dad was also a, a, a photographer, so he used to take pictures of me all the time. And uh, he was so proud of his, of his son. And there again, my, my dream was to make it big one day to take care of my mom and dad also. You know, I wanted to buy him a home and a new car, and you know, and they ended up dying before I could do that. So it's tough. It's you just was, said something that I just, I just. I just remembered your dad and Dave took all the pictures to my second wedding. Did it really? Yes. Yeah, my dad did. That, that yeah. Awesome. There you yeah. go. I, I forgot all about that until oh, you wow. just said that. I was yeah. like, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad was awesome. He worked for the White House back in the Nixon days and he's and they just did a huge story on him right 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 before my dad passed away. Uh, but he was an amazing man. He was a Coast Guard um, auxiliary. He, he was a security guard, carried a gun. Uh, he played music, plus he took pictures. The guy was, he was 85 years old when he passed away, so, and he was like my hero. He was, I still have rough days. I go see his gravesite three, four times a week and just sit there and cry and, Daddy, wish you were here. And when I play drums, I always I want my dad to play through me, oh. you know? So I try to play and envision my dad's spirit in me, playing through me. and. You know, hopefully he's smiling down on me. Sure. Did he see you play a lot? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially towards the end, he came down to clubs. You know, because once once I left Tim and all that stuff, then I was I was playing downtown quite a bit. So so my dad wanted to always hang out with me. So if we were going to movies and dinner, then he was going downtown with me, watch me play. What year did you leave Tim? Uh, 2013. I'm sorry, 10. 2010? 10, 10. Okay. So it's been uh, 11. 2011. Yeah, it's been three years. It's been three years this August. Okay. Whatever that is. And how did, how, did, how did all that whole thing go down? Well, we just finished a huge tour, and things were going great, and we thought, you know, things were going good, and um, Timmy called each person to meet him at a, at a different place in Nashville, and, and I met him at a sports bar over there in Bill, Bill Mead. Sportsman's, I think it's called. Sportsman's, okay. whatever. Yeah, Sportsman's Grill. Yeah, 
and um, I, I thought, man, maybe we're going to get a, a raise, we're going to get a bonus, something good, you know, good's going to happen. So, and, so Tim called the whole band yeah, into Sportsman's Grill. No, no, differently. The, oh, all, one at a time. Yeah, yeah. So y'all were all scheduled to be there just at separate times. Well, no, Tim met he, Tim met each guy in town in a different place, like an hour between each each guy. Oh wow! And so that's why we all thought we were getting. Sounds like a mafia hit. Yeah, it was, it was weird because we all thought, man, this is we're all going to meet an hour apart. This this is going to be something great. We're, we're going to get bonuses. Did y'all not warn each other as it was take as it was going down? Once the first guy got wounded, but then the phone started ringing off the hook. Oh, I bet. And so, but I but I had had heard nothing yet. Um, so when I got there, I was pretty excited. You know, I think, hey, what's up, man? And, Great tour this year. He goes, yeah, it was, it was a good tour, and and we ended up ordering lunch. And he goes, listen, man. He goes, I think I'm gonna have to make a change. I'm like, change? What do you mean? He goes, well, he goes, I just, you know, this is probably this is probably gonna be the this may not be the smartest thing that I've ever done, or something like that, or this may be the biggest mistake I ever make. But I just feel like I need to make a change. You know, I just I'm not happy, and my my family's not happy I just I just got to do something different I'm not winning awards anymore and blah 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 it's not you guys you guys are great blah 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 it's just it's me and I'm like oh, gosh he gave you the breakup speech yeah I know, <laughs> I know. so it's like it's, 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 I'm like Tim I just it's not you it's me yeah I go I just bought a house he goes well that's that's not my problem I decided I've, I've got to make a change for, for me and my career I'm like well I've been here your whole career just I mean you know, he just kept on saying, it's not you, it's me, it's me, it's me. And so we ended up eating lunch and talking about old old times. And the check came and I ended up, you know, I ended up, I ended up grabbing a check and I bought lunch. He goes, oh, no, no, let me get this. And I go, no, Tim. I said, it's kind of like the last supper. I'll get it. Oh, you said so, that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so is, now, is he a spiritual man? Well, if he was, I'd still be there. Uh, That's all I got to say about that. You know, people always ask me, oh, you're in town, is Tim a great guy, blah, 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 blah. Well, I said, well, I don't really agree with what he did, and he definitely hurt a lot of people, but um, I'm not his, I'm not his, you know, his judge, so that's, uh, you know. know, That That wasn't even fair for me to ask you that question. That would be something that, you know, he would have to answer. That's fine. I don't think that what he did was fair to any of us. Right. You know, because he had promised us at one point a lot of money. We all, we all, you know, stood by Tim's side through all of his career, through all of his issues, all of his devices he had issues with. You know, we all stood behind him. We always had his back, and he had promised us that we we each get a million dollars a piece, and you know, we'll be taken care of. And um, that, of course, that didn't happen. So um, it's, it it hurts. It hurts to see him go on without us when we were his. His boys, we were his friends, you know, for all those years. Now you see him on interviews about his band, his boys. You know, it's like it, it just hurts. It right. just hurts. It doesn't make any sense what he did. We're all still great players. Um, he's got a bunch of young, you know, young kids up there now, and um, you know, it just it doesn't make any sense to us what he did. Well, I mean, do you think age had anything to do with it? Well, obviously, because he he hired a bunch of you know, you know young kids up there um but i think the fans loved us too i mean we're a huge part of tim's look his sound you know especially his last six albums we had played on you know most of his his big hits is 
is us his band playing on it. You know, Red Ragtop was one of the first band number one hit, then you know, Live Like You're Dying, Stars Go Blue, you know, um, Last Dollar. I mean, we played on a lot of his huge, huge hits, and we really thought we'd be there till the end. Cause that's kind of what he had promised us. You know, you'll always be my band until I retire. So it was, it was basically one of those, you know, you know, uh, you 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 hung in there when things were really, really bad, or you put up with certain things or whatever with him, and and you just don't feel like you know the same loyalty was shown to you guys. No, not at all. No, we all lost. A lot of things that we worked hard for, and uh, you know, there's been some things in the paper about Tim and the choir and stuff like that, and the, the star. And I think that he thinks some of us had said some things like that. Nobody has, but he's accused us of that. But we oh, haven't. Wow. Yeah. Has he ever called you and said? Oh yeah, yeah. He called me personally, and and you know, kind of tore me one, but. Um, <laughs> he you know, cussed you out. Oh yeah. Well, he just kind of went off on me. I, you know, I tried to explain to Tim. I said I didn't do it, and you know, of course, he didn't believe me. And you know, I just he thinks that I said some things that I didn't say. I was offered actually uh, over a million dollars for a, a story. So oh, wow. In, in the process of losing my dream house that I had, I was visited by the inquirer several times, and uh, I was offered over. A million dollars for a story for Tim and Faith, and I and I turned it down, and and I could have done it and saved my home, but I didn't. I ended up losing my home. So and, and still, you went down, you know, you you went down protecting. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've gotten angry sometimes and said some things on Facebook that I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and I and I've texted guys a band a couple of times. You know, when I when my when I'm when my dad died and I lost my home and all kind of stuff, I was really, really low. I was really having a hard time, and I, and I probably said some things to the band guys that I shouldn't have said, um, but I've never talked to any magazine or nothing like that. So, you know, I should, you know, you know, I even called the Inquirer and asked them would they please send me a letter stating that I didn't tell the story, and they said, well, we didn't say you said the story. I well, I said, well, it insinuates that I did to the story. They go, well, we didn't say you did. So why would we send you a letter for? Because if if they'd have just given me a letter, then I could you know send out the Tim and Tim would have seen that I didn't do it, but they wouldn't send me a letter. So you know, God knows, it's like you know, I don't know. Golly. The, the bottom line is is being the dance hall doctors, which which we are still playing with Tim and doing what we do, and and that our loyalty and our Given Tim the prime of our, of, of our life would still be there because we you know we deserve that. So, in the midst of this madness, in the midst of you losing everything, you know he had promised every one of them, all of them, a million dollars or whatever else for your loyalty of, of hiding any you know whatever it may be, and and that didn't come through. But yet you, you were offered a million dollars to give up any dirt that you had on the man. And you still were willing to lose everything over your loyalty. That is just that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing, man. Well, I just felt like that was the right thing to do. Right. You know, of course, with Tim, did I felt like definitely wasn't the right thing to do. But um, you know, it, it was tempting when you lose everything and sure you feel like you know you can't get a job and you know I, I you know I've done nothing wrong and we've heard word on the 
street as Tim was we were told by by other people that Tim said we're all doing drugs and all that kind of stuff not to, not to hire us but you know I didn't hear that of course but that's just a report on the streets as you know Tim was told we're kind of like blackballed basically right and so for three <laughs> I know what it's like to be blackballed I, did I, you? yeah oh yeah we can talk about that okay but, another time oh but for three years Tim's old band that was let go was having hard time trying to find a job and that's crazy we're all just you know number one hit players and you know been all over the world and Madison Square Garden I mean Australia everywhere I mean can I get a gig right so that that's what hurts I think it well I I you know I have to commend you you know if, if it went down like that man I I'd you are a bigger man than me. I can, I am telling you that from my heart, because I don't know that I would have had the wherewithal to, to, to turn down the a million dollars to, to, not tell everything I, I knew. I just, I don't know. I don't, that's, a, that's, it's one of those kind of things where you, you know, people can say, well, I would do this or I would do that. Bullshit. You don't know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. Right. And you were there. Yeah, I know. And you made that decision. Yeah. So it's like, wow. That's well, well, they made us sign a confidentiality contract, you know, when they let us go also, which well, said. Well, which, how did they get you to sign a non disclosure agreement? Well, they timidly gave us a year salary. And the only way for us to get that was we had to sign this form. If you don't sign the form, then you, then, then you get no money at all. So. Instead of you know, instead of saying here's some money, let me help you, it was like if if you want this year's salary, then you, you you're gonna sign this form. And I was the last one to sign it because you know. God, you probably could have made a whole lot more money writing a book. Well, I definitely could have, you know, and I didn't want to sign the form. I was like the last one, the very last point of the deadline. It's like I'm like I don't want to sign it because I know I could have wrote a, a book and made millions. Oh wow! And it was it's like you know I thought well if I sign it at least I can keep my house. Right, right. You know, but if I if I would have known hindsight I was going to lose my house, then I probably wouldn't have signed that form. Right, absolutely. You know, and you and you kind of signed it under duress anyway. You weren't, you don't want to sign it. Did you get Did you get any kind of uh, advice from a lawyer? <laughs> Did you get any kind of a, uh, advice from a lawyer? Yeah, lawyer said that I'd be better off not to sign it and write a book. Did the, I because, would have told you the same thing. Because there was a, a lot of things that happened to me personally throughout my career with Tim that that um, that I could have made millions on. And you know, and the, the, you know, there again, my loyalty to Tim was I had his back because I thought Tim had my back. But there's some things that I know and that's been done to me that if ever got out would embarrassed Tim and his family. Wow. So, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm probably going to write a, a book and just keep it in a bank or something like that, just to keep it for my kids to kind of know what their dad went through. To, you know, I, I probably won't publish it just because, I, mean, it, it, I don't know, I just feel like at this point not to do that, but but I want my kids and to do, just kind of know what, what their dad went through his, his whole career especially the last 18 years with Tim, what I had to endure to, to keep the gig. Sure. And then, and, you know, and my reasons worked because I wanted to take care of my family. Right. So. Well, I, I tell you, like I said, you're a better man than me. Did, 
Now, uh, it's my understanding you're putting the dance hall doctors, or you're attempting to anyway, they're trying to get, get the dance hall doctors, or the former dance hall doctors, back together and get you guys back out on the road. You know, and I, I, knowing you, Billy, I think you're going to pull this <laughs> off. There's just, I just, I have, I have the utmost faith that you, that you will be able to get, get these guys back out there for the fans to see. Well, I'm trying to. I think the fans want to know where we're at, what we're doing. They don't understand why we're not with, with Tim anymore. I don't think Tim's really told them why, uh, but the, the guys are all still play great. We all still play around town. I'm not sure he really told you why. No, I mean, <laughs> none of us understand why. It's, 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 it's still kind of amazing that's what happened, but I'm really trying to get at least a few of us back to, together again. I actually wrote a song called Old Stomping Grounds, which is about the band, we're back, same band, new you know, new sound, new, new track. So I'm hoping maybe we get that song out with the band. Um, but just just trying to get us out there because the fans want to see us and we want to see the fans. We, we really miss the fans a lot. Last question, and then then we're, we're obviously we're we're running over now. I mean, this has been an absolutely uh, interesting interview. You, uh, you, <laughs> I tell you, I, I could just I still want to turn around and go. I need more kicky kicky. <laughs> classy classy <laughs> classy classy classy. So so uh, the the last question. And it's going to be a hard one. If you guys got a phone call today and Tim said, yes. I screwed up, yes, would you come back and let's get back together? Let's yes. get the guys back together. Let's yes, in a heartbeat, I would. I have dreams about it. I have dreams at least once or twice a week about Tim calling us or me somehow being called by Tim. My drummer's sick. I, it's crazy, but I have dreams about us back playing with Tim again. It's... The dream is like it's it's weird. Tim's still mad at us, right. but but we're still on stage playing with him. But but my but my dream or, or my prayer would be for Tim to say, "Dude, I was wrong. Forgive me." You know, I would say, "Tim, you know, forgive me for anything I did wrong." I said, "You know, I'd love, I'd love to say, let's go play and have fun. Let's let's do what we do." And it just be it'd be such a dream come true for Tim to just to say he was wrong. He's sorry. Let me make it up to you guys. Let me take care of you like I promised you. You know, the, the, the funny part about it is when, when you say this, you, you, you lit up like a Christmas tree. And, and, I, and I got the same response in your eyes and your, your emotions that you, that you had whenever you talked about your first wife. You know, mm -hmm. it was like you, you could tell that you genuinely love the guy. You may not, you may not get along or y'all may not, y'all may have differences or whatever else. But you know, uh, I think that's your loyalty there, and yeah. and you can you can tell it, man. You can. Well, tell I it. well I still feel like I'm Tim's drummer. I'll always be Tim's drummer, no matter who he gets. And on the stage, there were some nights I would look out at the crowd, and, and I would say to myself, if somebody came running down that aisle with a gun to shoot Tim McGraw, I would I would have jumped off those drums and dived in front of Tim McGraw to save him. I can't say, you know. The guys, the man would have done that, but that's how my loyalty was to Tim, that I would have died for him. Wow. I would have taken his place, and I, you know, and Tim probably doesn't know that or, or care probably, but I was very loyal to him. Thank you for being on the show, Billy Thunder Mason. You have absolutely, <laughs> you, it has been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I tell you, I have to say, it's